Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to a show that's all about the right stuff. And you'll understand what I'm talking about when I talk a little bit more about my guest today. I... Today was really cool is, you know how we always talk about the right questions can change your life on the show, and I talk about how right thinking is so critical to success of any kind. My guest today was involved with one of the most amazing advances in human history and one of the greatest technological innovations and teamwork building that has ever been seen, I think, in the history of Of the human race, pretty much. And that's the Apollo Lunar Launch Program. If you're an American and you were raised in the 60s, you know about the space program. Um, Unless you were hiding under a rock somewhere or you're one of those people that believes it was fake. I am not one of those. And you've heard me say that what got me to do what I did in my life around technology was because I wanted to be an astronaut. Didn't end up doing it, but... It was something that was a dream of mine and drove me on the course that I'm on. My guest today is Martha LeMasters, and she just recently wrote a book called The Step, One Woman's Journey to Finding Her Own Happiness and Success During the Apollo Space Program. Martha is a friend of mine here in Vero Beach, Florida, and we met because I joined a group called Impact 100, which is a collective giving charity of women, and we give out $1,000 each person and we last year we gave 421,000 in 8 years we've given out close to 3 million dollars in grants. And I met her and I was just blown away because she has some of the cleanest and clearest thinking I have ever seen. Um, negative thoughts just go like in and out boom gone and she's been helping me clear my thoughts. She has the right stuff and I want you to welcome her today. She's going to share her journey, talk about the step, and hopefully tell us a little bit of an insider stuff about what went on during those Apollo times. So please welcome Martha LeMasters to the show. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here with you, Laura. It is so great to be here. And, and, you know, I want to dive right in with a quote from your book on page 53, um, where you talk about sort of being promoted in your career. And we're going to get into the career. But you you talked about Madeline Lengel, who is one of the most amazing authors I've ever read. And you said, Madeline Lengel riffed on T.S. Eliot, another amazing author, in her meditation on creativity when she states that to find fulfilling work, we stand in our own way all too often by taking ourselves too seriously to dare disturb the universe in any meaningful way. And this was said by one of your other uh, women writers up at Kennedy Space Center. That quote is so powerful. Can you explain why you put that in there? Why you remembered something about disturbing the universe in a meaningful way, talking about why we're here on the planet? Yes, I think um, women are not assertive. They think they sometimes contribute aggressiveness rather than being assertive. Assertive means standing up for yourself, and that's been a learning process for women. Uh, When I was in the workforce, there wasn't anyone that started, no matter what their degree was in, unless 
they went through the secretarial pool first. Um, and this was a supportive role. Women at that time got coffee, brought donuts, baked cakes when someone had a birthday. So it was hard for women to change that role. Today, I, I'm happy to say I think women have progressed a lot. They have learned to ask questions. And um, I've always believed that the quality of your thinking determines the quality of your life. And that includes the right questions. So you're right on track, Laura. Now, you you did something very unusual back in the 60s. You were working on the Apollo program as a contractor, but you were divorced. You were a divorced mother of three in the 60s who was working. And that was not something that ever was really um, talked about. If it was talked about, it was talked about with disdain. And women were treated as they were supposed to get the coffee, they were supposed to provide the food, they were supposed to do whatever the man wanted. And you excelled at work. Why do you think that is? Well, you've got to remember the CAPE at that time in the 60s and 70s led the nation in divorces. And my husband at that time was also one of the brilliant engineers. He was on the launch team for both Mercury, Gemini, and then Apollo. He was working around the clock. And I think things like that definitely pull you apart. Um, He had an affair. We got divorced. He married a month later. Um, I was determined that I could take care of myself. When we divorced, I didn't ask for alimony. I knew I could take care of myself. And um, I had to start as a typist, typing highly technical documents with a lot of acronyms. And from there, I went into the secretarial pool for the writer's department. And before long, I was editing their writing. And um, one day, one of the male writers had a hangover and couldn't make an interview. So my manager asked if I would go do the interview and write the story. And I never looked back. It was an opportunity, and I seized the moment. Yet in the book, you talk about how even seizing that opportunity, it was difficult to get the men above you and the men around you to truly see you in that new role. And you often had to stand up for yourself. I, I I have a new book out. It's not just me. It's an anthology book, and it's called Decisive Women. And I wrote one of the chapters in it, and I tell a story um, about how even though I was a technical writer and I pretty much created an entire team, when a new guy came in, he decided that I didn't know anything about what I was doing and nothing I had to say had value. How, How did you deal with that? an environment where you were now considered somebody that was a key player on the team, but people around you still wanted to think of you as, well, go get my coffee. Well, my manager did, and I had to take a stand and tell him, I'm not getting coffee anymore. I'm a salaried person. I'm a writer. I will not be getting coffee, donuts, nor baking cakes for anyone's birthday. Um, But I have to say that the teamwork concept of Apollo was beyond anything I'd ever experienced before because there was a lot of respect for everybody. 
And when I had to go out and interview those brilliant engineers and programmers and analysts, they helped me understand what I had to write. Because at that time, we were trying to sell the space program. And by sell it, I mean convince the public that Apollo would be worthwhile and how our systems work and what they were going to do. So at every step of the path, I was interviewing some of these brilliant engineers who were doing things that had never been done before. And if I didn't understand what they were talking about, and it was highly intelligent, uh, technical, um, they stayed with me. There was great respect there. They stayed with me until I got the story right and had their understanding of what was going to happen. So uh, in that respect, I had great respect uh, from these guys it was only when uh, we walked through the VAB, the Vehicle Assembly Building, in our miniskirts, that we had uh, a lot of <laughs> uh, obscene calls yelled at us. And, um, of course, women were deemed a liability if you were anywhere around the Saturn V vehicle, especially at the 363-foot level where the instrument unit IBM's IU, which was responsible for the path to the moon, um, was we had to put on uh, coveralls. All right. And when we come back from the commercial break, I want to talk about how Martha LeMasters was a safety hazard and what that meant. I, I mean, I, it's just amazing to me. Martha LeMaster's safety hazard. I just love it. We'll be right back with more. Your book, you tell this amazing story about you being a safety hazard. It blows my mind that women were considered a safety hazard, yet I see it happening today, right? Women are still considered responsible for a man's thinking and a man's actions. What exactly did it mean? You alluded to mini skirts and the 363 foot level. I mean, the build, the vehicle assembly building created its own weather if it didn't have the right equipment inside of it. Yes. Well, anywhere on the platform at the 363 foot level, there's only a chain link fence. So NASA decided that if a woman was in a mini skirt, she would be a safety hazard, considered a safety hazard, because the men obviously wouldn't be able to control themselves, and they'd be looking up at the skirt, and they might fall off those that platform that surrounds the Saturn V. So one day I was interviewing um, the Apollo 11 test conductor in the firing room, and we had to use NASA photographers in those days, and he mentioned to me that, well, you know, the Apollo 14 astronauts are going to be up around the IU at your level, talking to your guys, thanking them. And I said, really? I've got to get up there and get a photograph of that. And the NASA guy said, well, you know, they're only going to be there another three to five minutes. We've got to go right now. He said, but wait, you, you can't go. You're, you're in a dress. You have to have your coveralls on. And I said, you know, if I was a man, this wouldn't stop me. We're going to get that picture. And we ran up the elevator with taking the Apollo 11 IBM 
um, test conductor with us, too. And uh, we got up there, and sure enough, there was Alan Shepard shaking our guy's hands. And I, I went over and introduced myself, and I said, I wonder if I could get you a photograph with our Apollo 11 test conductor. Now, the test conductor is like the quarterback of each contractor. Okay. And um, everybody reports into that test conductor just before launch, saying, this system is go, my system is go, and then at the end, the I. IBM Apollo 11 test conductor would say to NASA, IBM, ready for launch. So he's a very important person. So after I got the pictures, I was just so enthusiastic. I, oh, my gosh, these are the probably the best pictures I've ever had. And it sounds like if you had taken <clears throat> the time to do the coveralls, you never would have been on the platform when Alan Shepard was there, so these photographs would have never happened. That's right. I would have missed that opportunity because I was a woman. All right. So what happens next? Well, all of a sudden, this safety guy comes up to me and says, I'd like to have your badge, please. And I said, my badge? Uh, Well, why? He said, I'm confiscating your badge. You're a safety violation. You don't have your coveralls on. You, You don't have any pants on. And I said, I have my pants on. He said, no. <laughs> Not those I pants. I <laughs> mean the right kind of pants. And um, the IBM 11 test conductor spoke up and said, well, we just were here for a quick photo. And he said to him, well, who are you? I want your badge too. So now I've gotten myself in trouble and also the Apollo 11 test conductor. That must not have reflected very well when you went back to the office. Well, my manager was waiting for me at the back door of the administrative building in in Cape Canaveral. And he said, IBM does not get safety violations. And not only did you get one, you got one for our test conductor, which was unheard of. And then I sat down and I said, wait, I've got to tell you what I did what the opportunity was, I said, Warren, if if I had been a man, I could have been right there. I wasn't going to let a little dress stop me from doing my job. I said, I've got the best photos of my life. And he said, well, regardless, there's a punishment attached to this safety violation. So they took it serious, very seriously. Oh, yes. And he said, now, our test conductor will get his badge back but you have to undergo pad evacuation training okay and and pad evacuation training is what well i i know what it is in the book because i so (laughs) want to do it (laughs) i know it was um i had to go through safety training to learn all the different poisonous gases and how they're they work i had to watch films i had to be in the room with about 15 guys who were also the guys that gawked at us when we went across the catwalk. But unbeknownst to me, three guys in orange jumpsuits came in. And to make a long story short, um, we had the culmination of the whole test was to go down the chute that goes all around the pad and comes out into a rubber room at the very bottom of the pad. Now, the chute is made of steel. It's just like a big slide, but it winds around and around. You have your hands between your knees, and you're 
tilting back and forth as you go down and you reach speeds up to 55 miles an hour. And yes, I was glad I had the safety violation after all that. And it, it was, it's completely enclosed. Oh, yes. There, you know, if you don't hold your position properly, you're probably going to get hurt. That's right. And it ends in a rubber room. Yes, where you're, where it's dark and red lights come on and it had equipment and food to last for a week. So the idea behind this pad evacuation training was if some accident some propellant leak, some gas leak, something happened um, when the rocket was um, on the pad, right. ready to be launched, getting ready. This was the fastest way out for any of the people up there. That was the escape. Okay. And then from there, there was a crawl space that crawled to the other side that you could go through, uh, to the whole other side of the pad. Okay. Um now, you did this with three astronauts. I did. Which was very unusual, right, for the safety training yes, to be it there was. with astronauts? Yes. And, and Shane, we've got some weird hum kind of going on, unless it's outside the window. I think Maybe. that's large equipment outside the window. Yes, that's large equipment outside the studio. Sorry, everybody, you can't hear it, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so you, you did this with three astronauts. What was it like... Be saying to the astronauts when everybody was going around the room, um, telling why they were in, um, they were in that oh. training. Oh and, yes, and telling you know mm-hmm. the astronauts and all these other people that well, yes, when I was in the class, um, they wanted to know why I was in. I was in there with the only woman in there, and as I found out, I was only the second one woman to undergo pad evacuation training. So when I told them that it was a punishment because. I had worn a mini dress, and they were astounded. astounded. What? <laughs> you mean, you, you got a violation for that? And um, I said, you know, I, my legs are just too powerful. Uh, you know, it could cause damage. <laughs> it could cause someone to be hurt. Well, so, <sighs> and when you look at the picture of, of you on the cover of the book and all these amazing photographs you have in the book of the Apollo program, you do have killer legs, by the way. <laughs> All right. You know, there's a lesson, at least for me, in that conversation, which was you had to make some really hard choices and you knew there could be penalties from it. What were you thinking about? Was it strictly that I must get this shot or was there something else going through your head? I was thinking that if I were a man, there would be no stopping me. And my first objective was to do my job. And I knew I wasn't going to hurt anybody. Uh, That was the bottom line. I knew it was the right choice. uh, And I was willing to to go with it. You say you're willing to pay the consequences or whatever may have happened. Yes. I, I think it's so amazing, Martha, how you've challenged the status quo your entire life. And that's where the title of the book, The Step, came from. I believe as well. And that's a a lesson for every woman and every man really on the planet. Um, You talk about in the book that in the 1960s, the role of women in business was just really beginning. Um, I went to an engineering school. I have a degree in computer science and it was a highly respected engineering college, but they had a secretarial science degree at the college. And 
I would encounter all these different men as I'm getting my degree. And they're like, oh, are you here for the Mrs. degree? Oh, dear. And I'm like, no, I'm here to get a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science with a minor in Electrical Engineering. And they would look at me like I had three heads because most a lot of the other women on campus were there for the Mrs. degree, meaning they were looking for an engineer to marry. Oh, And set up the rest of their life. This was in the early 80s. So it was still going on 20 years later. Um, As we go into commercial break, I'd like everybody to think about how are you challenging the status quo? And are you willing to take risks for what you want to achieve in your life? Martha's going to talk to us more about uh, her time in Apollo and what it means to be a woman then and now. We'll be right back with more from Martha LaMasters. Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. I am so grateful for the day that you and I met, Martha. And I had the privilege of reading your book almost chapter by chapter because you were sending me the chapters as you were writing them and we were talking about them and we have the same publisher. And one of the things that stuck with me greatly was what you wrote in the very beginning of the book where you talked about the step, which is about, which is what you called the title of the book. I had never heard it before, maybe because I'm from up north and you said it's a Southern thing. Can you describe the step and why you called your book the step? Yes, it goes back to when I was in the fifth grade in uh, Fort Lauderdale, and it was the last day of school, and the girls were, fifth grade girls were playing the sixth grade girls in softball, and I got up to bat, and I hit a long ball, and I ran around the bases and jumped on home base, and Mrs. Spaulding, my teacher, there in a long dress and clunky black shoes, declared I was out. And I said, I'm out? How could that be? And she said, you failed to touch second base. So I went back and sat on the bench, and I gritted my teeth, and I knew what I had to do. And I got up to bat the next time, and I hit it even further. And I jumped on every base and pounded on home base. And Mrs. Spaulding says, well done. We went into class, and she said, Now, children, you can leave for the summer. But Martha, in her southern accent, I'd like you to stay a moment, dear. I need to talk to you. And everyone left, and she said, You know, you're not the smartest child in my class, but what you do have, you've got the step. And I said, The step, ma'am? And she said, Yes, it's an old southern term. It means when you have a goal, your step is concentrated and it hurries you along, guides you to win or to accomplish. Your pace becomes a little faster. Your stride is determined and strong. You become more focused. And she looked at me and I was still confused. And she said, you'll understand what the step means someday, she says. I mean, it's full meaning the way it can transform and perform miracles. Well, that stayed with me all my life. I knew I had the step, which meant I could accomplish things, gave me confidence 
tell your listeners to tell their children. Well, you're telling them right now. They have the step. It's so motivational. So the step is really about, and I get goosebumps every time I hear you say that, every time I read it. I mean, it starts at the top of my head and it just gives me goosebumps all over because what you said, what your teacher said to you at that point was if you have focus, if you really want something and are willing to put the work in and say, I can do this and step out into the world, then you can. And when I first saw the name of your book back way back (laughs) when you started doing this, I was like, oh, you know, it's a play on Neil Armstrong, one small step for a man, one, you know, giant leap for mankind. And then I read that and I went, well, yeah, it still kind of fits with what Armstrong said, but it really is what the space race, the space program, the Apollo program, getting men to the moon was all about, isn't it? Everybody on that team, every single person had the step and there were how many hundreds of thousands of people working all across America there were 420,000 people that worked on Apollo but as Miss Espaldi told me that I'd learn someday how it worked and on my last day when Apollo program had ended I thought about that and I realized it's when all those steps become one that it creates miracles. And that's what Apollo was about. We all stepped as one. So you had the step, but everybody else had the step, but you had one common step. That's right. So you all had one common focus. So, um, So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that if the world were to get into step, if a group of concerted people were to get in step, sort of like what we do with Impact 100, yes. right? Change can happen on a grand scale and we can achieve anything. Yes, I believe that. I think our nation needs to be in step right now. There's too much turmoil. There's too much division. We need to have a goal, a national goal of whatever it is. I can remember when we were working Apollo and we got that first moon landing and then we had moon landings every three months America was behind us it was wonderful why do you think it is that women, men humanity has such a difficult time holding a positive goal I think it goes back to the person that says I'm right you're wrong And can't go any further. It's only one kind of thought. I'm right. You're wrong. And that's not the way America should work. I'm right. And maybe you've got some rights, too. Maybe something else about the way you're thinking is right. Um, We just need to be more loving and understanding about other people's issues and what they believe in. Now, you you talk about in your book, um, and I forget who actually said it that made you think this. Um, I think it was the woman, Ellie, Ellie in your book. Mm -hmm. You said she plans everything, every aspect of life, including her body, and that Apollo was planned to the smallest detail. That's not something on average that's very easy to maintain, to, to plan and 
constantly keep it because negative thinking comes in. We've talked about it a number of times on the mm-hmm. show. I've had a number of guests that talk about this. You seem to have, not seem to, you have a very amazing ability to um, to really hold right thinking, to allow that negative thought processes to leave your mind. And you honed it on the Apollo program. You had it. With in Mrs. Spaulding's class, she talked about it. Can you share with my listeners some things that they can do to help them get those thoughts, those negative thoughts out, those doubting Thomas thoughts, and hold that right thinking and hold the step? Yes. Well, I always have to question where a thought comes from. To me, um, we get a lot of questions or suggestions that come to us that aren't our own thinking. Um, They're negative thoughts. Well, what do we do with a negative thought? I question and say, well, who's saying this to me? It's not me. It's not God, because I believe that God is good and the only cause. And that's when I can take a stand I think most people, when they get a negative thought, they wonder about it. They question it and go further in developing it rather than say, okay, that's not my thinking and I'm going to um, reject that thought because it's not true, it's not helpful, it's not loving. Okay, so instead of clicking on that negative thought and exploring it deeper, just say, is that a true thought? That's right. Is that something that I need to be thinking about? Does it have value? And you want to do this really quick and just let it go? Yeah. Is it? Does it bless anyone? What's, All right. What's the outcome of this? Is this a good thought? Is this a thought that's going to take me far? Is this a thought that I want to accept into my thinking and build on it? Or can I change this? Can I change it to a thought that's helpful, that's positive, that will lead me in the right direction? You know, this book isn't about someone's perfect life because I made a lot of wrong choices, bad incidents. You made some really interesting ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and and I don't uh, regret any of them because I don't believe that bad choices are life sentences. I believe that they're life lessons. And when you realize, hey, I could have done that better, or I don't need to do that, or, um, you know, I want to go down a different path, that's when our life takes effect, and we have wonderful results. You know, it's such a clear way of thinking about it, right, that know that your choices aren't you know the end of the world you can move past them it's all in in your thinking Um, one of the things that comes up a lot from my listeners when they email me or they talk on on the web or on facebook or something is gaining that initial awareness of what they're actually thinking do you have a tip or two to help people begin to actually be aware that they're having those thoughts Well, there's, you know, the little 
um, cartoon thing that you've got an angel on one shoulder and the devil on yep. the other. Well, um, I just always have to question it. Where is this thought coming from? Um, I like to think of good thoughts as God's thoughts. And, well, who are the others from? They're they're mortal, materially based. And when you recognize that I'm going to accept this thought or I can reject it, that's your choice. And you just have to figure out who's it going to bless. Is it helpful? Is it truthful? Is it based on the truth that you know through your study of um, Christianity or religion. So one of the thoughts, everybody, that um, Martha is suggesting we all think about that I love is to gain awareness of your thought process. Say to yourself, what am I thinking right now? Would that be a great way for somebody to gain awareness? Just actually stop. It's one of the things I talk about in my book is to stop what you're doing every so often and pause and go, what's happening right now? What's going through my head? Yes, I think it's part of our belief system. You know, if you, for instance, believe such and such is going to happen to you, a negative thought, there's a good chance that that's going to happen. Um, It's when we learn to recognize negative thoughts and not go down that line. But as you say, you ask the right questions. You ask the right questions of the thought that comes into your head. And I've had great results in that. Yeah, you certainly have, as evidenced in this book. I learned so much about you that I didn't know, that I thought I knew. And then I went, whoa, Martha's even more awesome than I thought she was. And when we come back from the commercial break, Martha, I'm going to ask you to share why this book now. We'll be right back with more from Martha LeMasters. On the Apollo program wasn't all stress and divorce and and safety hazards. <laughs> you guys seem to have a lot of fun up there too to to sort of break some of that stress. You you sang yes. You, you wrote amazing skits based on this. I, I loved them. Talk, talk to us about how you have that creativity and fun when you're dealing with life and death situations. Well. Um... Let's see, how can I explain this? We had a facility dinner before every launch, uh, the weekend before the launch, so that spouses could come. And um, our facility manager decided he wanted it to be fun. We formed a chorus, and we sang songs like, Get Me to the Launch on Time, or There's No Business Like Space Business. And then my facility manager said, Martha, let's have a skit. And I said, well, what do you want it about? He said, I don't know. You're the writer. Write it. So I wrote a skit. Couldn't get anyone to act in it, so I had to do that, too. But um, In a silver lame miniskirt mini <laughs> with boots. <laughs> and um, we had great fun. Um, there was such great teamwork and camaraderie. Um, so what, what were some of the lessons you learned? I mean, literally working in life and death situations where one mistake could literally cost a life. It was great attention to detail. After the fire, when we lost three astronauts, NASA formed a man flight awareness program. And in it, 
they stress the idea that a typo could result in someone's death. A typo. A typo. Okay. So um, everybody had great stress on um, perfection because a, a life was at stake. And the astronauts knew this. That's why they made calls to us. They would go visit and thank us because they knew their lives were in our hands. And they didn't let it go by unnoticed. When they had made their trip down Fifth Avenue in New York to the ticker tape parade, they always came back to the Cape and thanked us. I remember Gene Cernan saying, we're not, you're not on our team, we're on your team. And it was that kind of acknowledgement um, about the teamwork that made Apollo so great. I love that. You know, I've read mostly every book written about the space program. Almost all of them are written by astronauts or by NASA employees. I, I loved Chris Kraft's book um, called Flight and, and so many other ones. Why this book and why now? There wasn't one from a woman's perspective uh, about how hard it was and um, the challenges the women were making. Um, and I told my employees, my coworkers, that I'd write a book someday, and I said, and you're going to be in it, especially after what you did last night. <laughs> so they were expecting it. And I started it in the 70s, the late 70s, and I wrote it in third person because that's the only writing I knew was to write about somebody. Because you wrote all the press releases, yes. you wrote speeches, you wrote all yes. that stuff. Okay. But I had an editor say, this has to be a memoir, and you have to be very honest, and you have to show your vulnerability. Oh, well, and you do that in this book. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, revealed a little bit more than I wanted to, but I had to be honest. And um, it it worked. So, um, so it was time. It was time. And besides that, uh, some of my coworkers were passing away. Um, and it was very sad. I was asked to speak at a memorial service for one of the test conductors. And I got up and said, you know, this man was instrumental to the Apollo program. He performed in an exemplary manner, achieving the greatest achievement mankind has had. And his kids didn't even know what he did, especially the grandchildren. These men are humble. They don't talk about themselves. Um, they don't have interviews all the time. They don't get to write books. It was my turn to write about them again. And something pretty amazing happened because you wrote this book recently. You sent me an email about a major change up at Kennedy Space Center. Yes. Can you talk to us about that? Well, I had taken my cousin up to the visitor center at Kennedy Space Center and we took the two-hour bus tour and stared at buildings that I'd been able to go into and go up to the roof. And uh, we finally exited to the Apollo building. And um, we saw some videos that were very nice. And we went into this room where the Saturn V was lying on its side. Which uh, is huge, huge, the Saturn V rocket. And it was um, separated by the various stages. And... I looked everywhere, and there were no names of the contractors anywhere. So I had bought my tickets online, and I got a 
email and said, what did you think of the visitor center? And I said, well, you need to get the history right because there are no names of who was responsible, who manufactured, who tested it, who proved that the system would work for each of those stages. And um, I said, it was greatly disappointing. And I said, I can't imagine a grandfather taking his grandson in there and showing someone where they work. And there's no there's not a name out there for IBM or North American or Boeing. It would be a great, tremendous uh, letdown. And recently I found out another IBMer went out there and said, Martha, your letter did work because now there's there's plaques for every stage and depicting who the contractors were. So because you took and had the step, you, you bet. changed something for everyone to so that they understand that the world sees that it really truly was an amazing team yes that put together it was the team and that's who i write about that's wonderful last thought you'd like to share with an audience and how they can get your book and keep in touch with you the book's available at amazon.com and all the bookstores barnes and noble uh any local bookstore and appreciate it very much i think these people need to be recognized and how can they reach out to you um and find you if they have Um, questions or want to talk my website is www.marthalamasters.com love to hear from you and it's martha lamasters l-e-m-a-s-t-e-r-s and i will have links to that up on the it's all about the questions website um martha You've been somebody that I've admired for a number of years since I met you, and it was a joy to get a chance to interview you. You were on the forefront of changing the way women are perceived, and as a woman, I want to thank you for that. Thank you, Laura. I admire you, too. Thank you. I remember growing up not being able to be on Little League and and do all sorts of things in the early 60s while you were out there on the space program. I lived my entire life in a very male-dominated field, um, and it's because of the strides that you took to change the way women are perceived that I have some of the opportunities that I have today. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. And all my listeners out there, I highly recommend you getting the step because we didn't even begin to touch the surface of some of the amazing stories and a couple of interludes with an astronaut and a few other people. And um, I love that story. I think it's totally amazing. So do you have the step? Tell me what your step is and how you are thinking and the questions that you are asking yourself today. You can find me at the Laura Stewart on Twitter and on the website. It's all about the questions. Love chatting with you. Remember the right questions truly can change your life. So what are you asking yourself today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.